Good morning. How are we doing, church? Awesome. So glad you're here. My name's Simon. I am one of the pastors here on staff. And for those watching online, thanks for watching online. I keep the cameraman at work by walking back and forth across the stage constantly. So if you don't see me, we know who to blame. Conversation currently in relations with Jesus. And I was kind of thinking through that and working through different things. Um, I landed in this really cool passage that we'll get to in a few seconds. But I was thinking through different things in growing up and going to the church, and the church that I first came to Christ at is a church called Calvary Baptist Church that I went to, and uh, that's where I came to the Lord, it's where I got baptized, that's where I got in a lot of trouble, um, but at the same time, it's also where I had uh, my youth pastor who poured into my life, and he would plan some of the craziest events that I've ever seen and heard of, and there was this event that took place on Halloween called the Maze. Uh, maybe you've heard me talk about it, maybe you haven't, but the Maze was this bizarre event that took place on Halloween where we would connect washer and dryer boxes and refrigerator boxes and we'd connect them all together. We'd make a giant maze. You'd crawl on your hands and feet and they'd turn off the lights. It's in the pitch black and it took about an hour on a good day to get through, stumbling through this thing on your hands and knees. Some people hated it. Some people loved it. But it was crazy to be in an environment where you couldn't see anything. It's actually very disoriented as you're trying to get through a place that you don't know, you don't understand. You're like, I'm, I'm moving around, I'm feeling the walls, I'm feeling the ground, and it's hard. But at times you can kind of start to get used to it and sort of be okay with it. Like, oh, this is great, until someone flips on the lights. And I remember distinctly being in the maze one time, and the lights just came on for whatever reason, and I could see everything. And what seemed hard suddenly wasn't hard. What seemed difficult to navigate actually wasn't that hard afterwards. And I realized I can move through this kind of quickly now, and it wasn't that big of a deal. And so you may ask, why do you bring up crawling around in boxes on your hands and knees this morning, Simon? Well, I have a point. And it's where we're going to land today as we talk about the idea of sight and being able to see and what that looks like. That's where we're going to be in this conversation that we're at today with Jesus and a blind man. And he's not only going to be speaking to the blind man, he's going to be speaking to his disciples. And I believe that he also has a message for us today. So if you have your Bibles, if you brought a Bible, please turn to Mark chapter 8 verses 22 through 26. There's Bibles uh, in the seats in front of you. You can grab one of those. If you don't have a Bible, please, we'd love for you to take one home, use it, read it, and have God's Word for yourself, or you can just follow along on the screen. And he came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes... And laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this passage. I've just been so excited to, to study it and to read through it. Lord, I ask that as I communicate this message to your people, to your church, that if there's anything that is distracting from the message, you would take it from my notes, my mind, my mouth. If there's anything that you need me to say this morning that needs to connect with someone, that you would give me the courage and the boldness to say whatever it is you have for me. 
But most importantly, Lord, I ask that our eyes would be open today, that we would see you more clearly for who you are, that you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the Savior of the world. And I ask that you would speak to areas in our life that we are broken, hurting, lost, confused, in regret and shame, that you would bring the truth and the healing power of your Son into our lives. Pray this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. So as I have been studying the Bible over and over and over again, there's something that I learn all the time is that the Bible's very intentional. The Bible isn't loosey-goosey. The Bible's not just trying to fill space to get a message across, but everything's in there is for a reason, that a lot of times there's symbolism and there's foreshadowing, there's purpose that's going through the Bible. And as you read it, you want to make sure you're reading, like I said last week, kind of like a detective. And as I was talking with um, my wife and my boys last night, we were having dinner and they always say, hey, what are you, what are you talking on tomorrow? And I kind of share what I'm talking on. And I said, oh, I'm going to be preaching on the blind man. And one of my kids said, oh, which one? Because he seems to heal a lot of blind people, doesn't he? And so they're like, well, it seems weird that he keeps healing all these blind people. And I said, well, it's a little bit different. And I said, it's different because there's all these different events that take place in this healing. And I said, so if you look at it, there's things that are, that are happening, these clues that show us what's going on. One, Jesus takes the man outside of the city. And then two, he spits in his eyes. We'll get there. That's, that's weird, but we're going to get there. It seems like he has to heal him twice in this particular section of scripture like something it went wrong or but there's something going on and what we find out is it's the only place in scripture where Jesus heals in phases it's the only place we see that and what we'll find is that chapter 8 is building something out the healing is happening in a chain of events it's leading up to a point and it crescendos actually after the miracle at the end of chapter 8 to where we see what this message is really about it's not an isolated event but that jesus is going to use this as the master teacher to communicate a big message to his people now many people have said this is the turning point in the relationship between Jesus and the disciples at this point, that they had been walking with him for a long time, but in this moment, in this chapter, is where we see this shift in who they see him for who he is and who he truly is. And so we're going to look at what that looks like. Now, to understand what's happening in these four verses, we need to kind of look what's led up to this point and how we got here. So Jesus has been traveling around the Sea of Galilee. He kind of went up north, he did a big loop. He comes back down around the backside, hops in a boat and starts kind of ping-ponging a little bit in the Sea of Galilee. Now during that time, what we find is that Jesus does the feeding of the 5,000. Even if you haven't been at church, you've probably heard that story at some point in your life where Jesus takes a sack lunch from a little kid. He's like, hey, let me pray over the meal, and suddenly we got a lot of food. I try that with my ribs all the time. It doesn't work the same way. I want more ribs, but I don't get them. And so he does this, and he starts seeing that there's even leftovers. There's abundance in God's blessing. There's abundance in God's grace, that God is the provider of all things, that he feeds his people with something more than food. There's a spiritual feeding that he's giving them. And then they hop in the boat, and they go do some stuff, and they talk to some Pharisees. And then the Pharisees start arguing with Jesus again, and they say, show us a miracle. Show us a sign that you're from heaven. And I read that, and I just kind of chuckle. He just fed 5,000 people with a sack lunch. He's been healing people. He's been casting out demons. He's been raising people from the dead at this point. They're like, we need a sign. Could you show us something? Like, really? Like, you want me to show you something? 
He's like, I have been. That's what I've been doing all along. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to show you the sign because you refuse to see me for who I really am. See, their eyes were closed to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that the one that they had been reading about, anticipating, waiting for, was standing before them right now, that he was going to bring healing to the Jewish people, but they thought, oh, it's going to be get rid of the Romans. It's like, no, you don't get it. You're missing it. Your eyes are closed. You don't understand what's going on. And he knew... And they all knew that Jesus was different than everybody else. There was something unique and special about Jesus, but they couldn't figure it out. And after that, Jesus' disciples, they hop in a boat, and they take off. And then, you know, they didn't prepare very well. And they're like, we only got one loaf of bread. What are we going to do? And I grew up in a family of boys, and, and one loaf of bread doesn't cut it. If you got 12 guys in a boat, that's not going to work. You need one loaf for each guy. And so what happens is they start complaining about this bread problem. They're like, there's, there's a problem with the bread. We don't have enough. What are we going to do? And then in Mark 8, 17 through 18, he says this. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes you do not see, having ears you do not hear, and do you not remember? He's like, what are you guys doing? Like, why are you arguing about bread? And then he's, he starts like kind of moving into this area of like, you don't get it. Verse 21 is like the crescendo. He says, you do not yet understand. You don't know what I'm doing. You don't understand what I've been doing, why I've been healing, what I'm telling these people. There, there's something more that you need to get. But Jesus loves them. He loves them enough to take the time to show them, to teach them, to explain to them what he's doing and what he's about. He wants them to, to get this. And it leads us to this passage where he's going to tie everything together that they've been experiencing for the last couple of weeks as they've been traveling around. Now, there are two things that are happening in this healing that are going on. One, we want to, we want to understand that Jesus loves this blind man. He loves him. He cares for him. He sees him as someone that needs help. But more importantly, he sees it as someone that needs to be healed. He needs to be made well. He needs to be made whole. He needs to be made complete. See, Jesus came into this world to heal us, to save us, and to bring life, the life that we're meant to live. Like, we can't live the life that we're meant to live because of sin. Sin has separated us from God, the sustainer of life, the giver of life. We are disconnected with him because of sin. It, there's nothing good happening because of sin in our life. There's a consequence. There's a penalty for sin. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. We know that death comes because of sin. The healing that we need is more than a physical. It's a spiritual healing that we need. God has to judge sin. He can't be around it. And when he judges it, he removes it from it. He casts it out into utter darkness. That's us. We have a problem. And he came to solve that problem. And what I love is that these men bring their friend to Jesus. And what I, what I see with Jesus is the same thing all the time. If you ask Jesus for help, he responds every time. 
He answers. See, we need to understand that we are in a position where we need God's help. We need to be healed. We need to be made new. Sin has ruined everything. And Jesus loves his people and all that call out to him, he heals and he saves. At the fame of Jesus was spreading. These guys got it. They actually came to him. They begged him. Lay hands on him. Heal our friend. Take care of him. So Jesus takes him outside of the city, gets him alone, uh, just with the disciples and a few of those around. And then there's this really strange thing where he spits in his eyes and he lays hands on him. Then he asks, can you see? But we find from the story is that he's like, a little. I see people, but they look like trees moving around. I was talking with... Uh, uh, we were joking about it last night, and my, my oldest said, well, God gave him tree vision. And that's funnier if you thought he was a toddler, but he's 19. And so he's like, gave him tree vision. He's like, that seems really good. Like, that seems like cool, right? I'm like, ah, whatever. And so we were joking about it, but he wasn't fully healed. So Jesus lays hands on his eyes again, and then it says that his eyes were completely healed. And verse 25 says, and he saw everything clearly. Clarity came from that. So, so what's going on here? What does Jesus want us to see? What, what do we need to see and understand? Now, I say all the time that these miracles, these healings, um, there's always more. When he heals someone physically, there's a bigger message being communicated. It's not just that there's this physical need that's being met. That happens, and that's good, but he's always communicating a spiritual need, a spiritual problem that Jesus is going to heal and that Jesus is going to solve. He's always going deeper than the surface. He wants us to understand that there's a way that we've been designed to function and work spiritually connected to God, and that's broken. In this case, it's being able to see clearly, but more specifically, seeing who Jesus really is. So this man's blindness is about our blindness. It's about the disciples' blindness. It's not about a physical blindness. It's a spiritual blindness. That without Christ, we are lost and without direction. It's like being in that maze in the dark that without Christ, without the light of the world, we don't have the ability to move through life and we are groping through life at times without meaning, without purpose, and with the burden of sin and shame and guilt upon our shoulders. See, the Bible would talk about this idea over and over again that we are blind spiritually and how God opens the eyes of those that are blind. In Ephesians 1, 18, it says, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. In Acts 26, we see that, that Paul was the persecutor of the church, going around, killing Christians that were following Jesus, proclaiming him as Jesus. Jesus appears to him. He goes blind. He goes to this area for three days. He's blind. God sends one of his servants to come and to pray over him to make his sight return. It says that something like scales fell from his eyes so he could see physically, but then in that moment he understood who Jesus was, that he was the Christ, that he was Messiah, and then went to go preach the message of the good news, the very good news that he was trying to silence before. In 2 Kings 6, 17, Elijah is with his servant, and they're in their house, and there's all these armies around and surrounding him, and the servant's freaking out, and Elijah's like just kind of hanging out. He's like, ah, not a big deal. 
And he prays the servant would understand why not to be afraid. And he opens the eyes of the servant and sees all the angels surrounding the area, the encampment, to protect him. Psalm 119, opening the eyes of the law, and then 146 as well. We see those things that he keeps talking about, opening the eyes of our heart. And this theme is going to carry over with the disciples as he's communicating with them. And so this two healing thing, let me, let me just talk through it. Jesus wasn't having an off day. Jesus was like, oh, I woke up, I had a cough, so I had to pray twice to make this thing happen. But I still did it. It's cool. He didn't lose his juju. He didn't lose his mojo. He didn't lose his power. He didn't get weak in that moment, and he just couldn't figure out how to do it. He's like, oh, this one's tricky. Now, that's not what's going on. But he was showing things taking place in stages, that he was revealing himself in different ways at different times. See, these men had been with Jesus for a long time. They had spent time with him. They had watched him do miracles. They had seen the healings. They had seen the demons being cast out. They had heard the teaching. They saw the feeding of the 5,000. They knew that he was special. They knew that he was from God, but they didn't kind of know what it was all about. They couldn't connect all the dots. They didn't understand, like, is he a prophet? Is he just a good teacher? Is, is there something else going on here? You know, they just didn't know who he was. And that's what Jesus is opening their eyes to. Like, think about this. Many of us have probably heard the name Jesus, even if you've never been to church. Maybe it's connected to a swear word. I don't know. Maybe you see his picture on all the magazines every Easter on Time Magazine and National Geographic. See, we know that there's something unique about Jesus, don't we? We, we know that whether you believe in him or not, there was a guy who lived named Jesus, and everything kind of revolved around him and what he brought. But do you really know who Jesus is? See, we understand there's something about him. We understand that he's special. He's unique. But do you understand who he really is? See, we're like the blind man seeing shapes and figures, but we confuse them for the wrong thing. Ah, Jesus is a good teacher. Oh, Jesus is just a prophet. Oh, Jesus is just a wise man. You're looking at trees. This was the disciples. They saw something, but they missed the clarity to understand. This is why they were arguing over bread to eat in the boat. This is why Jesus rebuked them in the boat. He was trying to teach them about the folly of the Pharisees. He was trying to teach them, like, don't be like them. Don't put your hope in self-reliance for salvation. And he says, and don't, you know, from, the, 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 from Herod as well, don't put your hope in the government or the structure of the governments that will bring you peace and the security that you're looking for. That's not where you're, you're going to find it. In verse 18, it says, you have eyes, but you do not see. See, Jesus is going to use this miracle to show them what's going on in their own lives and in their own hearts. He was revealing the truth of who he was in stages. And after he would rise from the dead, after dying on the cross for the sins of the world, he would explain everything to them. Then he would give them the Holy Spirit to empower them to take that message forward. Do you ever find it weird that they 
Like you read the Old like in the New Testament before Jesus rises from the dead and these guys are just making mistakes, they're saying stupid things, they're a bunch of cowards, they all run away. And then after that, they're super bold and courageous and they're they're profound in what they say because they're filled with the Holy Spirit that their eyes have been opened and there's clarity to understand that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. They they got it at that point. And as I said before, this is the turning point. This is the turning point in the relationship with the disciples. And Jesus does this. So in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38, I'm not going to read them all. There is this profound moment. So he's, he's doing these miracles. He's telling them that they're blind. He's, the, the Pharisees aren't seeing who he is. He does this miracle, and then he, he has a conversation with the disciples. And he asks them a very specific question. He says, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? What does Peter say? You are the Christ. The one that was promised. The one we've been waiting for. Our, our true salvation. He's like, yeah, don't tell anybody. Because here's the thing. You have to do something with Jesus. You can't be neutral on who Jesus is. Jesus claimed to be God. Either he's right or he's crazy. There's no middle ground. Like, he's a great man. Who's a lunatic? No. You have to do something with him. You have to make a decision. Who is this Jesus? And Jesus is coming to a point and says, who do you say I am? Well, you're the Christ. What you're saying is true and what you're doing is real. And then Jesus would then start to teach about his death, that he would die for everyone. He would become a substitution, that he would rise from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, promising eternal life to those that have put their hope in him. And we see that Peter, he got it for a second, and then he didn't get it for a second. He's like, no way, God! You can't die for, the, for everybody. You have to live. That's not right. He didn't understand that the only way for sins to be atoned was for Jesus to die on the cross and take our place. And so what does Jesus do? He rebukes them and then he says, get behind me, Satan. At times we can see clear and at times we don't see so clear, do we? So I want to go in this next section of why did he spit in the man's eyes? Seems weird. Uh, there's a couple of reasons that I want to, I want to submit. Um, it seems odd, like, Mark's intentional, how he writes, what he writes, why he writes, the, the chain of events that take place. So it's there for a reason. Uh, last I checked, you shouldn't spit in someone's face, especially a blind person. That seems like not cool. But he does that. So if you look at the healings of Jesus, they're always different, aren't they? Sometimes he says, you're healed. Sometimes he lays hands on him. Sometimes he prays for him. Sometimes he touches him. Sometimes someone touches him. Sometimes he just says a word and he's not even around the person and that person gets healed. So he does it in all these ways. Well, there's, there's something going on. There's no formula. There's no way to figure out the formula for how Jesus heals. It wasn't like some magical witchcraft incantation and if I learn how Jesus does it, then I can go around healing people and I can make money and I can be the important person. So he's showing all the time that I just do this however I want. He could think it and it could be done. You can't pin down how it is. You can't replicate. You can't duplicate what Jesus is doing because he's God. He has that kind of power. Now, the other thing that I believe that he's doing is he's foreshadowing. 
There's a foreshadowing. We see all the time that Jesus is going to become the substitute for humanity. He's going he's to take our place, the place that we deserve. He's going to die in the place for our shame, our guilt, our brokenness, and he's going to bring healing. And as I was looking at this and praying through this, I, I believe that he's showing us some foreshadowing of what's going to happen to him, how our salvation will be secured. I mean, if Jesus wants to heal us from our biggest problem, which is sin and separation from sin of God, he said so in, in Luke 5, 31 through 32. I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. Healthy people don't need a physician, right? And I found this passage that I was, I was poking around through, and I'm like, wow, I didn't, I've never seen this before. And so I want to turn to Mark. So the end of Mark, he has this section here. Where'd it go? There we are. In Luke 14, 65, it says this. This is uh, Jesus before the council and his trial. This is just before uh, Peter denies him three times. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Jesus was going to be taken outside of the city at some point as well. He was going to be removed from the city. He was going to have his head covered that he wouldn't be able to see and that people would spit on him. They would beat him. That he was taking this man's life and he was dying in his place. As a foreshadow of that, he was going to do something greater than we don't understand. Like I said early on, that Jesus wants to heal us. This is how he does it. He takes our sin. He puts it on himself. He goes to the cross. He dies in our place. He absorbs the wrath of God so we could be with God. He gives us his righteousness. So when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of his son that we can stand before him in real relationship with the God of the universe. took on great humility. And I was thinking through that. I just, my mind, when I, when I think about humility in the Bible, I always go to Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Just have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." That he humbled himself and had the most unimaginable death possible so we wouldn't have to. And that his name is exalted above as the savior of the world that we talk about every week and that we pray to every week. This is the Jesus. This is the one who did that. So our eyes would be opened. So we could see clearly that he is Christ. And everyone will someday. They will all proclaim he is the Lord of lords, the, kings of, the King of kings, the great Messiah. 
There are people here today that may not know Jesus. They may know a little bit about Jesus. But you have to do something with Jesus. And what I love is, so I was thinking about this today, like these friends brought their blind friend to Jesus. As I was growing up, I remember me and my buddies, we would bring our friends to church. I think of Eric, I think of Josh. They didn't know Jesus. But we loved them. And we knew that they were in trouble. We knew that they needed the gospel. And we didn't bring them so they'd be condemned, so they'd be made fun of, so they'd be picked up, so they'd feel bad about themselves. Because we realize that without Jesus, they are blind and they are lost and they are destined for an eternity separated from God. And so we wanted them to know, and these friends are kind of like, they're just heroes to me. Like, they love their friends so much, they took them to the one who could heal them. And maybe some of you have brought your friends here to bring them to hear the truth of Jesus. Keep doing it. Keep bringing your friends. Keep sharing with your friends. Keep engaging with your friends because we have a truth. We have the truth of Jesus Christ. Pray that God would open their eyes and he would save their soul. And if you're here and you're hearing this, I would ask you to turn and to cry out for help for the God of the universe who loves you. Cry out to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you of your sins that he wants and he's waiting for you to call out to him. Have your eyes opened. But maybe, you know, we got a lot of Christians in here. We got a lot of people who've been walking with Jesus a long time. Maybe you're kind of like them. Maybe you're like the disciples that you, you kind of understand who Jesus is. And maybe you're like, but I, I've actually given my life to Christ. I, I, I love Jesus. Is, he's Lord. He is the Christ. He is, you've confessed that. But yet there's all these other areas in your life where Jesus isn't the Christ in your life. That he isn't the Lord of your life. And that you are still the Lord of your own life. Maybe you're in your marriage right now and you are trying to control that marriage to be what you think it needs to be. How it should function. How your spouse should act. How they shouldn't act. What they should do. What they shouldn't do. And you're trying to be the Lord of that relationship. Maybe it's at your job and you're trying to be the one who's making everything happen. That you believe that in your power and your might, you're the one that has the ability to control that situation. Maybe it's with your family. Maybe it's with your kids that you're trying to control every aspect of everything. That you think that you're ultimately in charge. That you think that you're the Lord of your life. And that you're calling everything. Maybe it's in your relationships with friends that you have or friends that you don't have or friends that you wish that you had and you're trying to make these things happen. You're trying to be the Lord of your life. And what I'm asking is, if, if you're the Lord of your life, don't we know where we got ourselves? Don't we know what it looked like when we tried to take the reins from God and to be in control? It's when sin entered the world. It's where sin destroyed everything. Think about it. Has it really worked out that well of you trying to be in control of all things in your life? Has that worked out? Is that, is that going okay? I meet with people all the time like, well, I'm trying to get my husband or my wife to do this or I'm trying to get this. Or, How's that going? It usually is going bad because they're in my office. That's why they're there. Like it's not going well. And you may say, well, Simon, that sounds real romantic to make Christ the, the Lord uh, of my life in all these other areas. Well, what does that mean? Like, what do you do with that? How do I do that? 
Well, we love the Bible here. We love God's word. It's God's word given to us that we would know God, who he is, what our lives should look like, how we should live in submission to God in all things. What it means to have Christ be the Lord of your life in every area means that you actually know what this says. That you would know that he has spoken to us how we should live, how we should respond. You know, there's a whole section on how, how to be a good husband and how to be a good wife in here. Weird. There's a whole section on how to be a good parent. You could actually read that and know what God actually says about that. How to act in relationships with others. Let me tell you something. Last night, I was just working through something, and there was an area in my life where I was not letting Jesus be the Christ. And I was frustrated. And I was just like, God, God, I'm so frustrated about this thing. I said, God, what should I do? It's like, well, gee, let me tell you, Simon, I forgave you of your sins. I can forgive anyone of their sins. You've been called to represent Christ and who you are as a person. I think it's pretty simple for what you should do. And I'm like, ah, fine. And I just let it go. I just let it go. Like, we all have areas that we need to realize that we're not giving Christ control in our lives. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know where you are. It might be on the list that I said. It might be something on a totally different list. But Jesus wants all of your heart. He wants all of your life. He wants all of your obedience. He doesn't want some of it. He wants all of it. So as we start to decide, like, what do we do as, we're, as we move forward in this next phase in the church's life? Like, if we want to be obedient to Christ in all areas of life, we need to know what his word says. And we're going to study his word. And we're going to roll out programs for anyone, no matter where they are. Whether you're a new believer, not a believer, or you've been a believer a long time. We're going to study God's word. We want to apply it to our lives. We want to submit to it. We want to chase after it with all of our heart. And that's what we want. That's the desire of our It's not about Simon's wisdom and great ideas. I have none. Any wisdom that you hear is because I'm reading God's word. That is the only wisdom that you hear. And I want you to know, like, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I want you to know what God would want for your life, what God desires for you, what God has given you because he loves you so much that he wants to open your eyes. I mean, are we really content with just, well, Jesus died on the cross, so I'm good with that. Is that all you want? in your life when it comes to Jesus? I just went on a road trip with some of my buddies. One of them's here. And we, the road trip revolved around going to a place where they filmed a movie. Super dumb vacation, right? But we went on this big, long road trip, and we went to where they filmed it, and we went to all the location sites. We went to places that could have been connected to it. We watched the movie three times on the drive. We were such dorks and nerds that we literally listened to the director's cut commentary where he just talked for like three hours. Why? Because we loved it so much we couldn't get enough of it. We wanted to know every little bit about what was going on in the movie and the making of that movie. This is what it is with Christ. We get to know something way better than a movie. That we should be continually driving and, and moving towards knowing Christ in all ways, at all times. That, and the more that we see who he is, 
The more that we submit to him, the more we see him move in our lives, the more we become like the image of God, and the more we show God to the world around us. God is a God that is transforming us, and he wants to transform you, and it starts with opening our eyes and seeing Jesus for who he is, that he is the Christ, and he is the Messiah. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you for this passage. It's, there's so much more there. I just ask that today that this would reach people in, in some way, shape, or form that would cause them to know you more, to love you more, to worship you more. That if there are those that need to do some business with you, that this would be the time where they do business with you. That they talk with you about where they are in their walk. Maybe there's an area in their life where they're just not submitting to you as the Christ and the Lord of their life. Lord, I ask that you would press on them, that they would lay that down, that they would explore and see what your word says about what you would want for us in our lives, that we would submit to that, that we would chase after you, that, that we would realize that there is no ending to knowing and experiencing you, that you have given us purpose, that you have given us a great task to take your name forward, to be image bearers of you to a dark and broken world, that we, we don't have to crawl around in a dark maze anymore, but we have the light that shows the way to life, that shows the way to the ending, that there is hope for those that have placed their hope in you as Christ and Messiah. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. I pray this in your name, amen.